Alice, what's the word? Control. Control? When I controlled my drinking, I didn't enjoy it. And when I enjoyed my drinking, I couldn't control it. Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, the holidays are approaching. It's a new month, and have I got a gift for you. (gasps) You do? Yeah. What might it possibly be? Well... It's in the mail and on your Grapevine app. Oh, I know what it is. The new Grapevine is here. (laughs) The December issue features stories of remote communities finding ways to connect to AA and stay sober. In Cold Lands, Warm Hearts, members working in a remote Arctic town come up with a great way to help newcomers. And a mother with two years sober is tempted by some bubbly Christmas cheer, but luckily thinks the drink through and saves the day in mom's holiday gift. I liked a letter in Dear Grapevine addressing how to stay sober in the difficult holiday season. This is from a letter by Andrew in California. He says, I turn up my program a notch during that time of year. I'll go to more meetings, make more calls, listen to more AA talks, write more inventories, and be of service at more AA-related events that month. I'm so grateful that I can see the holidays coming every year. It gives me plenty of time to prepare. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. It's like a train coming down the tracks, you know. (laughs) All this stress is coming at me. There's a lot, isn't there? In So Far, Yet So Close, a remote teacher in British Columbia at a First Nations community, two hours from the nearest grocery store, shares how he stayed sober and connected. Let me guess. It's the same way we do this podcast, online, virtually. This is not virtual, Don. This is real, (laughs) but it is online. It is online. Okay, virtual. Okay, we're real. At least I'm real. I don't know about you. I mean, you're just a bunch of ones and zeros presented to me as an image. (laughs) I feel like a math problem. (laughs) You are a really complex math problem with imaginary numbers. (laughs) Sam, who's our guest today? Don, today's guest is a Class B trustee who's currently serving as Interim General Service Board Chair. We welcome Mike L. There's an interview with him on page 10 of the December 2023 issue. Okie dokie. Okie dokie? I mean, I'm glad you have a positive attitude. Are you trying to achieve hunky-dory? <laughs> you know it. Maybe someday if I keep working at Hey, Sam, do you realize that okie dokie fits perfectly in the Hallelujah Chorus? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it definitely, okie dokie. Okie dokie, okie dokie, okie dokie, okie 
Hey, Don, how can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support the podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Hi, guys. I'm Mike. I'm alcoholic. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. So earlier we said that uh, you're a Class B trustee who's currently serving as the Interim General Service Board Chair. Now, first of all, a Class B trustee, that's a boozer, right? Yes. Class Bs are the boozers. We are the alcoholics. (laughs) But you're not currently drunk. No. No, I have been sober for 31 years. 31 years. Fantastic. Yes. So when, I, I'm not good at math. When did you get sober? <laughs> <laughs> I got sober in uh, January 22nd of 1992. Do you have a home group? Yes, I do. It's the Council Bluffs Wild Bunch in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Do you live in Iowa or do you connect online? No, I actually live in Omaha, Nebraska, which is just across the river from Council Bluffs. Council Bluffs is where I first started attending meetings. Gotcha. I just want to let our listeners know that you are sitting in the middle of an airport doing this interview with us, and we really appreciate you taking the time. So if folks are hearing things in the background, that's what's going on. Because a Class B trustee on the General Service Board is very busy doing things like, like, what are you doing this weekend? This weekend, uh, I was participating in the East Central Regional Forum that was held in Independence, Ohio. So we were just outside of Akron did the tour in Akron where we went to Dr. Bob's house and we also went to the intergroup and checked out the archives in Akron. Which is awesome. I've been there. You can feel it. And also Dr. Bob's house. You can feel it. (laughs) Right. That was a new experience for me. It was my first time there. I can imagine that going through a space like that is a bit of a spiritual experience. I imagine in the years that you've been sober, you've had more than one spiritual experience. I have had many spiritual experiences, yes. So that was, it was was very emotional. Upstairs in Dr. Bob's house, they have where Bob and Ann's bedroom, there are some recordings that you can listen to. I just get a little bit choked up now, just thinking about it. It's, yeah. it, was, it was just overwhelming. Mike, what does a trustee of the General Service Board do? What does that mean to someone who knows nothing about the jargon? Well, we are tasked with the custodial oversight of our corporate boards, the AA Grapevine, which you may be familiar with, and <laughs> AAWS, which is our, uh, our publishing branch for the big book and all of our literature. Number one, we select the directors for those two corporate boards, but we also have the fiduciary responsibility of, of the total operation. We are the guardians of the traditions, and the responsibilities are all spelled out in the bylaws of the General Service Board which I find very exciting to dig into those types of documents. Well, that's just great. I'm glad that you find that exciting because you're doing the job. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. 
So, Mike, I mean, you're getting to do a lot of really cool things today, and uh, I'm sure a lot of that is due to your sobriety, but it wasn't always like that, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a recluse. I was basically somewhat feral. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> I had unceremoniously been removed from the Air Force. Uh, I was not a model citizen. And when I walked into AA, I kind of looked like Charles Manson. My personality kind of fit that description as well. I'm really glad you changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people that are glad I changed. So the people that greeted me at the first meeting I attended, they didn't care about the way I looked. What they wanted to find out was if I was alcoholic and if I wanted to stop drinking. And they spent some time working with me, and it changed my life. It saved me. What did AA ask you to do that was difficult? <laughs> well, at the beginning, it was pretty much everything. I had a lot of resistance to God, to spirituality, to religion. I kind of included that all in one package. And so when I saw steps posted on the wall of the clubhouse that I sobered up at, I was resistant to doing any of those steps that mentioned God. Uh, and so what I did was I just got active in the fellowship. That was a distraction for a, a couple of years. But when I was just about three years sober, I thought that Alcoholics Anonymous was not going to work for me. I thought that it would work for everybody else that I ran into there. But for some reason, I was exempt from that spiritual awakening that's described. Now, had you worked any of the steps during that time? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just checking. (laughs) Yeah. And and what happened was I was actually chairing a meeting. It was Thursday night. And I was sure that I was not going to be able to get this. And I made the decision during that meeting. When it was over, I was going to close the meeting. I was going to walk out of a club and I was going to jump in front of the bus that comes by the clubhouse at that time. And I had this weird sense of calm that came over me. And I could suddenly hear what was being discussed at the meeting. And there was a guy that said, if you have trouble with God, you might want to try working the steps. He said that if you work the steps, you will have a spiritual awakening. And he promised that it would happen. He said it's a guarantee. It is the result of the steps. So I thought that that would be a little easier than uh, the other option that I had. And And if it didn't work, I could always catch another bus, right? Yeah, it's an interesting thing that uh, as an alcoholic, uh, my experience and and that of so many of us is that uh, death is an option that we actually give consideration to. Yeah. Yeah. So that question of living my life on a spiritual basis or dying an alcoholic death was a difficult decision for me. And how did work in the steps give you Step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. If we do all the 12 steps, I've found that I quit having affairs. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Mike, how did that work? Well, I, I had a lot of doubts. But the first thing I knew is I couldn't do it myself. And I asked this guy to help me. I didn't particularly like him. He was happy, right? And <laughs> so annoying. Not that. And, and, and he had all these guys that were just running around with him, and they were all happy too. And I couldn't stand them either. <laughs> I knew that they worked the steps. Out of desperation, I went and asked him if he would help me. He was more than willing. And we started the process of going through the book. And when it said to do something, I did it. 
you know, it, it didn't take long for me to start feeling better. I started to feel connected to people. I felt like I fit in most places where I went. I didn't feel less than others. And gradually, once I got to the point where I was making amends, I started thinking that sobriety was going to work for me, that this was actually something that, that I could see in my life. And I started to feel that everything was going to be okay. I, one day, I was just overwhelmed with that presence of a higher power in my life. Was it different than the idea of higher power before you came in? Oh, yes. I had such a distorted view of what that higher power was. My view of what God was when I got to AA was God was punishing. I attributed all of the bad things that happened in my life to God. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't a conception that was going to work for me. That was the case with me. I, I had to drop my conception altogether and just do the steps and then discover what happened. And then I reapplied the word God to the real thing that happened to me, something that I felt was real, not something that I was pretending anymore. But at the beginning, I think, you know, I kind of had to pretend. I had to ask a God that I didn't believe in, keep me sober today. Right. So I was just reading some of the um, talks that Bill gave at the General Service Conference over the years talking about trust, you know, the biggest hindrance to trust is fear, and the path to trust goes through prudence. And that was exactly the path that I took. What does that mean, prudence? Okay, so in 1966, Bill defined prudence as rational concern without worry. So taking it seriously, but not worrying. Right. Hmm. Understanding that other people had been through that process and have seemed to come through it okay, and if they could do that, then maybe I could do that as well. So seeing the evidence of others changing gave me that ability to go through that process without worry, but not fully in trust yet. Doubtful, but willing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which for me was the epitome of step two. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Yeah. And so that question posed in the big book, do I now believe or am I willing to believe? that there's a power greater than myself. At that point, I was at the willingness stage. It's just the willingness that we need. Yes. And once I was able to have that willingness, the doors just flew open. Mike, what about step four and five? Can you say a word about writing an inventory and sharing it with a sponsor? I was really hesitant about that. I wrote an inventory when I was in treatment. And it was a mess. I just wrote an autobiographical account of the mess that was my life, and it really didn't show me anything. But through sponsorship, when I followed the direction in the book, I started with my resentments, and then I listed my fears, and then I moved to my sex inventory. What I started to see was, it was like going to the grocery store, and I knew where everything was because there were you know, the big placards that are over the aisle. <laughs> uh, if we didn't have those, it would take forever to get our groceries. Same results for me with my inventory. So following my sponsor's directions on that really was effective. And then when we did the fifth step, some of that apprehension that I had had already been diminished because of the interactions that I'd had with other people where they shared some of their experiences. By then, I realized that I wasn't alone, that other people have experienced the things I've experienced and have gotten through it with no problem. And so the things that I thought would exclude me from membership in AA. They didn't matter. What did you think would exclude you? Growing up, I, I was raised in a very sick family with a lot of abuse, a lot of trauma. 
And my experiences did not line up with the experiences of all my friends growing up. The things that we went through weren't, um, weren't shared at show and tell or weren't talked about in school. And I didn't see any of that stuff happen on TV watching, you know, Leave it to Beaver or the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. And so all of that abuse really isolated me from the rest of society. It didn't make me alcoholic, but it helped me to be apart from everybody that I knew. And so when I started drinking and found that solution in the bottle, it momentarily would cover that stuff up. But ultimately, it didn't do the trick and actually made it worse at the end of my drinking. Mike, what do steps 10 and 11 look like in your life today? Step 10, continuing to take personal inventory and 11, seeking to further our connection with God. (laughs) Well, prayer and meditation were two of the most foreign things in my life when I got sober. But what step 10 tells me is that I need to continue to watch for a selfishness, fear, resentment, and dishonesty. When those pop up, I need to take some action. I need to admit it to someone. I need to make amends quickly if I've harmed anyone. And then I have to turn my thoughts to others. Well, I think I also, in there, I have to ask my higher power to take that away. When I get into those times, I'm able to um, identify it, reconnect, and go back to being of service. The 11th step is similar because it gives me some actions to take throughout the day. You know, it starts off with when I retire at night. And then throughout my travels in the day, if I have problems, it tells me to pause when agitated and ask for the right thought or idea. So there's some specific actions that I can take that keep me connected to my higher power. And my experience has been, I've really never been able to meet my higher power one-on-one. Or if I have, it's been very isolated cases. I find that connection to a higher power through other alcoholics is by working with others. And so that takes us to step 12. Mm -hmm. Having had a spiritual awakening, we carry this message. Mike, what is the pivotal thing you learned? So the first question that I was asked when I asked my sponsor to help me was, he asked what I was willing to do to stay sober. I told him I'm willing to do anything. And he said, good, we're going to hold you to that. Uh, And he has. And so when there are opportunities to be of service, my instructions have been to make myself available and let my higher power sort out what the results are going to be, if I'm going to be selected or if I'm going to be uh, needed somewhere else. The 12th step has been such a pivotal part of my life because there's these three guys that worked with me on the first day. One of them eventually got drunk. Well, when I was about 10 years sober, I had the opportunity to 12-step him. Having the opportunity to 12-step someone that passed the message on to me was an amazing experience. Oh, wow. And, and he wound up coming back and having a great life. Now, there's another guy that 12-stepped me at that meeting that was dying of cancer. You know, he only had like six months to live. I, I asked him why he would waste his time working with someone like me. And his name was Jimmy. And, and what Jimmy said was, Mike, you don't understand. I have a family that's, uh, that's going to need Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm not going to be here to provide it for them. And I'm going to need you to be here for them when when they're ready. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, I didn't quite grasp the seriousness of it until about 20 years later, when this kid comes bouncing into my home group, just overwhelmed with this message of recovery that he had just heard. And we started working with him. And ultimately, I started sponsoring him. And one of the things that happened was he said, you know, my, my grandpa used to be sober a long time ago before he died. His name was Jimmy. Did you know him? Oh, oh, wow. Right? And, and so every time I tell that story, it just brings me right back to that. And I've got chills again, just thinking about it. I've got them too. 
And so Chad has been sober now 11 years. He is an amazing member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's active in service. He works with newcomers. You can just see that it's changed his family, not just him. His kids are all in his life. And that wouldn't have happened without, without Jimmy taking the time to talk to me back in 92. And then you carrying the message on. And now he has it. Yes. Gosh. And I, I have to note that you're carrying this message. Your 12-step work is both direct service and general service. General service being all the stuff that makes direct service possible. Yes. But this general service work that I do does not take the place of my spiritual obligation to carry the message that's still suffering alcoholic. Yes. I, I, I still need to go on 12-step calls. I still need to work with the guys that I sponsor. I still need to make myself available. And when I do that, I am never far from my higher power. Mike, I think AA is in good hands with you at the helm right now for a little bit while you're, you're interim, right? I am interim. I will be rotating at the end of the General Service Conference in April. This will be the end of my four-year term as trustee. What do you think about rotation? Is it a good thing or somebody learns to do the job? Shouldn't they stick with it? I think rotation is one of the best principles Bill came up with. I can tell you that I've been doing this for three and a half years as a trustee. I've been serving as interim chair since the end of the conference in April. I can tell you that I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm not defeated. I'm exhausted. I love every minute that I spend doing this, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I could do another year or two. Rotation is a lifesaver. It is indeed. And Mike, I just want to share it because it's so timely. The next episode that we are publishing is a hot topic on AA burnout and how sometimes someone who is doing general service gets burned out. Yeah, it's it's a real thing. And the term of our 93 delegates is two years. I've heard some proposals of people wanting to adjust that to three years. I, I don't know if that's a good idea. I remember my experience as a delegate at the end of that two years it was much needed rest that i got or just a break yeah and i you know alcoholics tend to take things over (laughs) that's the other good thing about i mean i'm playing devil's advocate with asking the question about rotation because i believe it it also protects us from having aa experts and such yes we have an amazing assortment of trusted servants on the board each serves a specific purpose absolutely necessary to the success of our board. Mike, thanks for joining us today. This was just wonderful. Really glad we got to chat with you, Mike. I am so glad to be asked to come on. I love the podcast. I've been an advocate for it since we started it. What I love to do is when I'm on a road trip and I have someone sequestered in my vehicle to throw the podcast on once we're about 100 miles away, right? So they can't get out and leave. And by the time we make it home on that road trip, they are true fans. And I love the work you're doing. I, when it drops on Monday, I'm there. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for all you do. Mike, thank you so much. All right. Uh, hey, Don, what are you playing with on your phone? We're supposed to be recording a podcast here. Oh, sorry, Sam. I was just checking my spiritual fitness in the new Grapevine app. Oh, the daily spiritual maintenance checklist? Well, are you fit? Yep, says so here. And look, there's a daily quote and a sobriety calculator. And you can read the latest issue and all of the past issues all the way back to 1944. And you can have the app read the magazine to you out loud as a playlist. It's the monthly magazine in print and audio. Right in your pocket. 
The Grapevine and Lavinia apps are now available for both iOS and Android phones. To get yours, go to the App Store on your phone. It's time for listener feedback. Hey, folks, we want to hear your comments. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. Don, we got an email here from Spencer P. Spencer says, hello, you wonderful podcast producing people. Spencer likes alliteration. (laughs) I would like to ask a question about the AA Big Book. I don't take credit for this question. It is noted in Writing the Big Book, a marvelous book, which I learned about from your fantastic podcast. In the current fourth edition of the Big Book, the first sentence of the chapter, A Vision for You, is indented as per normal for any chapter, but so is the second sentence, which means another new paragraph starts from that sentence. New paragraph. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. New paragraph. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. However, it wasn't always that way. In the first edition, the second sentence is not indented so that it all remains as one paragraph. It looks like somewhere during the reprintings of the third edition, this extra indent slash separation was introduced. Was this done on purpose or is it a typographical error? If on purpose, why would it have been introduced at that point? To my mind, the writing makes more sense as one paragraph, not two, since the first sentence and subsequent sentences that follow represent a consistent train of thought. Sorry if I'm splitting hairs. I'm truly curious to know. (laughs) Thank you so much for all you do to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Spencer P. Thanks, Spencer, for such an extra esoteric question. (laughs) Here's what we learned from AA World Services Publishing Department, which is happy to take on any query, no matter how small. While there may not be a definitive answer available overall, we appreciate the question. Recognizing that the situation you refer to stretches back in time, spanning a number of editions of the book, any forensics on the question will be supposition only. However, as there are not discernible conference and or board actions indicating that a change needed to be made one way or the other, either separating the sentences or uniting them, your characterization, therefore, of this as a typographical error would seem a most likely resolution. Yeah. Then they speculate on the production process and how it could have happened. And they end with, While your preference might be to have the two pieces run together, the way the text currently appears does not in any way alter the meaning and intention of the text. We are grateful that your interest was piqued as a result of the Grapevine podcast and appreciate the query about our big book and its many years of successful publication. With all best wishes, Ames S., Executive Editor, GSO. Well, Spencer, I'm glad we could answer that. (laughs) Very, very, very detailed question. Oh, Spencer, you got Don's nerd going big time on that. He loved this. (laughs) Well, it's a good question. Why is that indented there? And it seems that the answer is who knows? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Spencer, thanks for writing in. (laughs) Thanks, Spencer. This is from Tim McBee. Hi, Don and Sam. My name is Tim, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is June 10th, 1985. Love the half-hour variety hour. Been a listener for a couple of years now. Since the app launched, I've been listening to all the old episodes, starting with season one. 
usually on my half-hour commute to and from work or when doing chores around the house. But yesterday knocked me off my feet. I was listening to season three, Grateful instead of Hateful, and the sharing about making amends to his mother as she was sick and dying. My 94-year-old mother passed away this past June. It was Saturday, June 24th. My home group, the Carry the Message group in Portland, Maine, meets on Zoom Saturday mornings at 8.30 a.m. I was at the nursing home with my mother who was transitioning and was in the meeting sitting next to my mother holding her hand. Just as the meeting ended, two of the nursing assistants came in to reposition her. I was standing to the side watching and heard myself saying to them, you know she's not breathing and she had passed on. My mother and I had a difficult relationship, but I did what I needed to do to make amends for my part. That included being there with her most of the time during the last days of her life. I was folding laundry last night and listening to the podcast with tears streaming down my cheeks. I can't remember the last time listening to a share affected me so deeply. It made me realize that I'm not alone with my mixed feelings about the relationship with my mother and the grief. Thank you so much for all you do. Tim McBee, South Portland, Maine. Tim, um, wow. You, uh, you hit me really hard with that one. I, I lost my mother several years ago, just before the pandemic hit. And uh, it was it was incredible how my fellowship of AA showed up, um, how God, whatever God is, showed up in all of that time. And it is still hard. But um, I hear you. And thank you so much for letting us know that this helped. That's all I can say right now. Um, but Tim, thank you for writing in. Yes, Tim, thanks so much. It's so beautiful that we have this fellowship to support us through times like this. There's good times and there's bad times, but we can get through it all sober. And, you know, I can feel the love from your letter and I appreciate it. You can give a gift subscription of Grapevine or Lavinia. Grapevine has a long waiting list of incarcerated members who want one. Get your group, district, area, or AA friends to join in. It's easy. Go to aagrapevine.org and look for Carry the Message at the top of the site. I'm at the very wit's end. Cuckoo. I'd like a glass of the best Less, please. Less? I've never heard of it. What is it? Beer? Whiskey? Well, I'm not sure, but the doctor recommended it. He said I should drink less. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. 
We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.